Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I sit down with Darren Spence and Grant Barrett from Intrench Consulting Group, consultants for CPG suppliers and distributors. In our conversation, we talk about dashboards, KPIs, and compensation planning, among many other topics. And I ask each of them what their favorite KPIs, what their favorite key metrics are, so that you can borrow these ideas for your business. So for now, please enjoy my conversation with Darren Spence and Grant Barrett from Intrench Consulting Group. Darren and Grant, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Delighted to be here. Great to have you. So let's start with some background on each of you personally, and and then maybe give us some background on your firm, the services that you provide, and the clients that you serve. Sure. Um, Carrie, this is Grant. Um, I started my career in uh, in the the beer and spirits business. Um, I left the on-premise world and went to work for a Gallo-owned wholesaler back in the 90s and uh, spent a few years uh, selling Gallo wines to white tablecloth restaurants in Philadelphia, um, but uh, truly found my, my love of my, uh, of my career in beer uh, when I went to work for the Coors Brewery uh, in the 90s. And I worked out uh, on the East Coast um, in some high share markets for Coors. And I fell in love with uh, being a distributor. Uh, I called on them and I ended up going to work for one where I spent 16 years at a large uh, Molson Coors distributor, um, Coors only, um, but worked there for 16 years in a variety of positions, including um, finishing my career there as the vice president of sales and marketing and was responsible for you know everything on the revenue side of the business and all of our supplier relationships. I left that distributor in 2015, and along uh, with our other partner who is not joining uh, this call, uh, founded Intrench Consulting. And the name is an interesting one. Intrench um, is really a play on words that all three of the partners in the business come from the trenches of the industry. We've all worked in beer for our entire careers. We all know the struggles firsthand that our clients go through. So I'll let Darren introduce himself, and then we can talk a bit about the clients that we serve. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I started in the beer business um, working at a distributorship as well and Miller Coors distributorship and kind of like Grant sort of fell in love with it, um, went on to do a couple of other things and then um, met up. And uh, I think what most people in the beer business know me from is my tenure as the general manager and a VP at um, Encompass Technologies, which is an ERP and RAS system. So I used to say I had one of the best jobs in the world. I got to travel around and see everything from the back door to the balance sheet um, and also just get to know a ton of amazing people um, in this business. 
And finally, uh, you know, what, what I used to kid around with people about is that I'd get to, you know, take all the best ideas from everywhere and then go other places and act like they were mine. <laughs> so, uh, and, and since that time I've, uh, joined Entrench Consulting Group and, uh, I get to do all the same stuff, uh, get to meet and work with all the same kind of people that I've enjoyed working with for the past, I don't even know how long now, 15 plus years, um, and still get to go out and ride my motorcycle whenever I want. And, uh, I help teach economics at the university of Kansas. So that's fun for me as well. And, uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a great space to be in for, uh, for hanging out with great people. Absolutely. Thank you guys for that. Yeah. Thank you. So Carrie, you, you had asked a little bit about who we work with from a client perspective. Um, we work with wholesalers in the beer business is a large portion of our practice. And we also work with suppliers. Um, suppliers we work with predominantly on um, it's really performance management, training, leadership development uh, on the supplier side. And with the distributor customers, um, it can be a, a bit more focused in three primary areas that, that we work with them on. Um, first is sales and operations, where we have found a specialty uh, really in resource allocation. So how can we help a client most effectively route to maximize their time to sell and their operational efficiencies? How can we help them in the creation of operating standards as well as account standards? What does great execution look like and how do we build towards that in a consistent path? How do we manage suppliers um, and, and really offer a, a perspective and a way to bring some order from the chaos of supplier management for distributors um, so that we can focus on winning with those products and SKUs that matter most in the customers that matter most? So sales and operations is a big area that we work with distributor clients on, as well as people development, um, building performance management rigor and systems so that they can take great performing teams and really help them achieve their highest possible form and their highest possible performance. Um, we work with them in regards to compensation and how are they rewarding and paying for those behaviors and activities that are going to drive the greatest benefit to the business. And obviously training people um, where we identify skills or capability gaps in a team. Uh, we offer the solution to train them and make sure they have those skills in order to be successful within any new system or process that's created. And thirdly, in our key services is insight enablement. How can we help distributors utilize the existing tools that we that they have? We don't sell software, really. Um, but how can we help them really understand what is going on in their business using the data that they have today? Um, and it's maximizing what they're getting out of the existing technology solutions. And then we can help them by um, using some you know, really powerful data visualization um, tools that exist out there like Power BI or Tableau um, through a tool that we offer called ProfitRx that enables them to see some customized insights to build KPI dashboards and to help them operate and run their business with richer and more powerful data. Mm, sounds like a great rundown. You're getting me uh, excited to uh, to dig into some of these topics. <laughs> so the let me let me circle back on a couple. I mean, there's a lot to dig in, into there, but I wanted to hit at least uh, one one or two follow up questions for you. 
So you had mentioned uh, one of the services to identify um, skill gaps. So you're coming in and you're doing some uh, performance management development and so forth. What, what does that look like in terms of how, how do you go about identifying those gaps? And then what do you, what do you do with something like that? Yeah. You know, Carrie, for us, the, it all starts with understanding and earning fluency about our clients, you know, and we have to earn that. So we believe that it starts out by understanding the aspiration for a selling organization. What do they want their interactions with customers to be like? What do they embrace as far as, you know, value creation? How do they want their salespeople to sell and to interact um, with their customers? And we like to learn the aspiration of where they want to get to. And then we like to go out and spend time on the street. We like to go observe people doing their jobs and spend time with the people that are interacting with their customers day in and day out and see how they're approaching their job. Are they uncovering the needs of their customers? And once they've uncovered what is important or the needs of their customers, how are they creating a benefit story for accounts based on the brands and the programs and the service that they're offering? So creating value for those customers. Once we see the way they're doing it today, it allows us to kind of go back and identify what skills may be missing. There, you know, we run in a full gamut of, uh, of different situations where there may be a sales force that's overly reliant or a leadership force that's over, overly reliant on relationships um, and doesn't have the core skills um, of coaching, of making salespeople better. They may not, as a selling organization, um, really understand how to sell benefits and the consultative sales process. And it, it's only after we go out and observe them, you know, truly interacting with customers over the course of a week's time that we start to see some trends of, you know, what these gaps are, that we can build customized training solutions that give them just what they need, you know, just at the right time um, so that they can be more successful and create value with their customers more consistently. Excellent. The, the other follow-up question I had was relative to compensation planning. And I believe you said, you know, using that to help drive results or improve results. How might, I know this is kind of a big question, but how might you attack um, something like that with a client? How do you think about compensation planning and ultimately to, you know, to drive those results? Carrie, it, it, it's, I think it's one of the great opportunities Um you know, in our industry. Um, you know, we work in this interesting compensation model often where we are sometimes reliant on supplier uh, tactical budgets to fund a portion of the compensation that we utilize, um, particularly and obviously in our selling teams. And I think that strategically the the gap or the issue in that is is that we are we are operating and compensating our people based on what 60 different suppliers want um, from our marketplace and we see the opportunity as you know really how can our clients develop their own strategy around what they want to accomplish, what activities are important to them, and what measures of success truly drive value to their bottom line? And once we can align around their internal strategy for how they want to sell and what they want to sell, we can build the levers of compensation to drive activity. 
you know, that which gets measured and gets paid against gets done. So if the only thing you're compensating against is supplier MBOs on top of base pay, you're going to get activity around what suppliers want. But if you focus on your own internal strategy and compensate against success against it, you get people to start to think more like owners. They start to think about the value of their activity and the value that it brings to their route and to the overall company. And we believe that from a compensation standpoint, it has to be rooted in supporting your overall strategy and not just paid out on individual MBOs for attaining display goals for a particular supplier. It really should start with understanding what leadership wants to accomplish and then pay people to exhibit those behaviors consistently. Great. So what do you guys see as the biggest areas of need from your clients? Where to wholesalers and suppliers need the most help these days. Darren, why don't you take this one? (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess everybody's noticed that things are different these days. Um, The world has changed a lot. There's a lot of changing dynamics along with that. But probably, you know, the top three areas are working out how to have the right amount of time to meet the demands of the big customers and also outcompete wherever it matters most. Um, and being able to do that without just, you know, adding headcount or throwing more bodies in front of the bullets. Uh, that's, that's a big, that's a big ask. Um, the next thing is probably figuring out where you should focus in your portfolio, having a wholesaler led strategy, as opposed to sort of taking all the pressures from all the different suppliers and trying to, um, and trying to work that toward the middle somehow. Um, identifying how you're going to approach your market and connect your consumer or the consumers of your retailers to those supplier brands and where you have the best opportunity to um, do that with the most growth. And then probably finally is just around the, the whole customer and portfolio allocation strategy. So, you know, we mentioned how do you effectively pay people? Do you pay them for performance and behaviors that are desired or you pay them for activities? You know, um, when you've got the strategy, it starts to become a lot more clear how to connect compensation to that strategy. You know, the old saying, follow the money. Um, we see a lot of comp plans that, you know, diverse from that strategy. They're, you know, they are over-reliant sometimes on supplier co-op MBOs, but it's also just, um, it's also just hard to track sometimes. And so you kind of got to get over the, over the hurdle of, um, figuring out how you're going to track it, figuring out how you're going to create that feedback, feedback loop with your personnel, most importantly, um, and then turning them loose because, uh, ultimately we hire people that have real good intentions for the most part. They're all working hard and they're generally fairly clever. Um, if you give them the right rules of the game. Absolutely. And I guess related to that question, you know, what do you guys see as areas of either operations or finance that tend to cause the most challenges? And this can be from, again, from a distributor standpoint or supplier standpoint, I guess, in other words, to put it bluntly, where do you you guys see that the screw ups are occurring? Uh (laughs) Well, I don't know that we'll call them screw ups, but, uh, you know, maybe we do run into some opportunity for sure. 
you know, one of the things that Darren and, and I and, and our other partner, Matt, really love the most about what we do is that we get to go into this really diverse set of customers and try and understand and engage in their business. And it's always, you know, new and unique challenges. But we do have to go in and try and interpret um, a bit about how a business operates and the efficiency at which it operates every time we go in. And we kind of need a Rosetta Stone in order to do that. And and being on a financial podcast, you'll appreciate this, that that's often, you know, the financial statements. That's always the common place that we like to start to truly understand how a business operates and how effectively it operates. And sometimes that Rosetta Stone can be a challenge, you know, that that looking at a, at a financial statement um, that, say, doesn't have enough detail can be a huge challenge or an opportunity that, that we see. So if we're going into a client and we're thinking about how we're going to allocate selling time or portfolio focus or merchandising time in a marketplace and they don't capture um, you know, the functional uh, costs for each individual department separately at a very base element in their finances, it makes the job of, of getting to some of those truths more difficult. And we can do it. And, you know, we certainly do do it all the time. Um, but I think what we see often from a financial perspective is, you know, are you capturing the right level of detail that allows you to take action? Can you report against it? Can you measure it? Um, and ultimately, you know, take positive action. Um, so not seeing enough granularity is sometimes a challenge for us. Um, and, and next, I would say just from an operations, a business operations perspective is that, you know, some organizations don't fully utilize the systems they have in place. Um, they're not really taking advantage. You know, they say you use 10% of your brain carry. Um, well, sometimes operators are only using 10% of their systems and they're not fully taking advantage of the data that they could use to really drive insight and ultimately to drive change for the better in their performance. So let's take something like um, driver statistics from their, you know, from their VIP system or from Encompass or from EOSTAR? Um, are they tracking how long it takes them to make the average delivery um, on a specific customer or on a specific channel? And are they in turn able to use that information to make great decisions about their labor planning or about how they're going to route customers to maximize the time they do have on straight time for their employees? Sometimes they're just not capturing the data or they're capturing it, but not reporting on it effectively. So it really just comes down to the most common things we see are that they're just not fully utilizing the information that is out there to help them make great decisions. And I think that as the pace of business grows more demanding and as the tolerance for making mistakes financially grows less and less in our business, um, you know, really fully utilizing the richness of information that these powerful systems have can be a, a great opportunity. And it's something that, you know, we always look for and always advocate. That's yeah, great. you know, I, I'd pile on one thing around that too. Just there is a ton of data in the in the general, you know, distributorships that we work with. There's a ton of data. Um, knowing when to say when is also kind of a skill because there can be, you know, too much data. Um, and frankly, 
you know, sometimes depending on where you're at in terms of um, execution and excellence and so on and so forth, the the value of more granularity can actually go down, you know, because of, you know, the extra time that is spent either collecting that granularity or aggregating it in some useful way. So sometimes, you know, starting with the big numbers and working your way down is a better approach than starting with like, how many miles are there between each stop and how much time do I spend at each customer exactly? And can I average that over the last X weeks? And, you know, at some point, um, you know, the insights that you get from that level of granularity might not deliver against the effort that it took to get to that level, you know, and, and the results may not even be that different, you know, between the higher order numbers and the, and the lower granularity. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think just to underscore two of the points that each of you had made was, you know, you're looking for that sweet spot of kind of the right amount of information relative to granularity, being able to report on your functional cost, right? You need, you need it to be simple, but not simplistic, right? You need enough information so you can make, so that finding that sweet spot, you know, there's, there's certainly templates and I'm sure you guys could advise folks on what that right level is, but you're right. It's like, you need enough to be able to track your functional cost, but you don't want to go bananas with every, and then the other one is utilizing the systems. Uh, that seems to be a common problem, irrespective of what type of, of software folks are using. And what, what I tend to see is, you know, they'll get into the software, they'll understand how to use it, they'll maybe hit a resistance point, and then they'll maybe default to Excel or other spreadsheets to kind of say, well, I know how to do it, and I'm just going to do it that way. And mm-hmm. we never come back. So I think a lot of that is is having a helping hand you know, an advisor to say, all right, let's, let's take a look at these spreadsheets. Maybe you're doing manually as some way to, to automate that within your systems. And I refer to, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tim Ferriss. He hosts a podcast as well. He's just unbelievable. And he, he talks about kind of a three-step process to kind of clean up what you're working on. He, he talks about, you know, eliminate, automate, or delegate. So when you're looking at the tasks that you're running, first step is probably should, is this something you even really need to do? The other mm-hmm. delegate, can somebody else do it better and then automate maybe using your system? So uh, yeah, just wanted to kind of go back and kind of hit that. Well, one. and we're, this industry, we're really fortunate because the, uh, you know, I come from that vendor space and I can tell you that all of them have done a phenomenal job of, you know, being competitive and constantly one-upping each other, which is to the benefit of all of us, you know? So there's a ton of functionality and potential um, sort of locked up in these systems and uh, usually comes down to like utilization. Like what's the problem we want to solve and do we have, you know, a specialized tool for that and, and let's use it, you know, let's more importantly, let's create that feedback loop. That's, that's kind of what I harp on generally is if you're going to collect data give it back to the people that you got it from somehow so that they can act on it so that they do have a chance to interpret it and they get some value out of, out of collecting it for you. So take us through an approach with a new client. So how do you assess what their needs are? You know, are there specific questions? You have checklists because to your point, you know, some people, they may know they have a problem. You know, something's not working right in the business, but they can't really define it. They're not clear on it or really even what a solution would look like. So how do you help them get clear on that? And and what does that process look like? Yeah. 
Sari, you know, you're dealing with a rich diversity of people. So it requires a slightly different approach with everybody. Um, But I think overall, you know, we have some core beliefs that we bring into the um, into the relationship that can that can help guide that. And it really starts with first understanding, as I've mentioned, what the strategy is of the of the leadership team, of the ownership. Um, and that comes from workshopping with them, which we have some specific process that we can adapt based on each individual client. But it's really getting them to vocalize for us what their aspirations are, whether that be in financial performance or in the way their employees engage customers, um, getting them to share those areas of what they really want to look like. And then what we really like to do is, as I mentioned, is to go look and spend some time. Um, you know, if it's a financial question, we like to spend time with the finance team. If it's a sales question, we like to go out on the street. You know, I, I carried a bag for many years. You know, I, I, I know what it's like to go out and sell. And Darren knows what it's like in the IT space. We have the direct experience that we can go observe. And then we're able to come back and turn it into a bit of a journey story for the client and say, we started with understanding where you want to go. And it's this point on the horizon. This is where we are today, though, in our observations. This is what we saw your process looks like. And these are the opportunities and the strengths that you have that we can build on. So if we're going to get to that point on the horizon of your aspiration, these are the steps that we think make the most sense. Now let's collaborate around those steps to make sure that they make sense for your organization. Because whenever you're discussing change, you open up this, I think, important discussion about what are the cultural implications of changing something? You know, what changes for people's day-to-day roles and what is the leadership team comfortable with? And what kind of change or approach is consistent with their values um, that they bring, you know, a long heritage of creating and building um, in their organizations. So we really think it's a full journey of getting them to vocalize aspirations, looking at where they are today and making recommendations, and then selecting the path that makes the most sense for their business and their culture and values. Great. Okay. So once you, that makes sense to me. It's like, you know, what, what are your aspirations? What does that look like? And let's, let's work towards that. So once you're clear on that, what, maybe just some specific examples, if you could, what does onboarding look like for a new client? Like what information do they typically provide? How does that setup tend to work? Well, the, there's a lot of information. I mean, what, what we tend to like to explore is sort of this intersection between activities that are tracked either in a surveying system or a RAS or an ERP and the financial data right out of the accounting system. Um, oftentimes those two aren't connected, but um, the most powerful insights sort of come from looking at them both in the same lens. Um, so our initial discovery is sometimes an assessment where we might try to see what we can mine out of the systems that are there. What are the most defensible facts we can come up to frame up how we're going to measure success? So like in a sales um, environment, that might mean, you know, what's our growth of um, our craft wine and spirits portfolio versus our non-alcohol portfolio versus our beer portfolio? And, you know, how do we want to look at um, new growth segments that we might have? How do inventory adjustments factor into that and expenses factor into that so that we can try to paint a picture of what what 
you know, the financial position of the organization looks like now and where the highest value opportunities might be. Um, now, thankfully, most of these systems are overflowing with data. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we'll start by just logging into those and running some reports to ask questions and really understand where the source of truth lives um, across all the systems, because some sometimes there's more than one. You know, if you're, um, for example, if you're looking at margins in an ERP, but um, the cost of goods are maintained in an accounting system, then maybe margins through the ERP aren't the right place to look. We need to we need to do something different. So um, there's not a right or a wrong way for any of this. It's just really understanding the lay of the land and um, identifying like where you're going to find the most defensible facts to support, you know, where the best opportunities are. So let's talk about numbers, shall we? Okay. <laughs> so a common question that comes up around key metrics or key PIs, uh, the question is, you know, what should I be looking at? And this may be a, a, an owner of a, a beer wholesaler or of a supplier brewery. So what should I be looking at? What's most important? Uh, what are other wholesalers or other suppliers measuring? How do, how do you guys approach this question? You know, it's a great one. And, um, you know, KPIs are, are an interesting conversation. Um, you know, I've personally set up KPIs for, you know, myself, for, for my business. Um, and they only work if you look at them with rigor and consistency, right? Um, so I, I'm a big believer in, in keeping it as simple as you can and trying to really look holistically at the business so that you can kind of see a red flag and then dig deeper. So I would say that for every business owner, it's critical that you look consistently month over month and can view your performance month over month in one simple dashboard of performance. And obviously in our business, a, 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 huge, uh, a huge item there is volume. But I also think that you should be looking at your gross profit by month and by route um, so that you can start to see inflection points where pricing decisions had an unintended consequence on your business, where price increases, you know, is the, um, you know, is the value in the increase showing uh, quickly in, in your profitability. And I, I think that it's valuable to look at how much you're spending to generate revenue as a percentage of that revenue. So what's your sales delivery in GNA as a percentage of revenue in GP? Um, letting you benchmark, you know, am I staffed correctly? Do I have enough people to meet the demands of the business or is it fluctuating? And there's some opportunity for me there on a cost side. Um, I'm also a big believer in keeping a pretty careful eye on inventory and understanding, you know, some very basic and consistent measurements around how your inventory is performing and what's earning its place in your warehouse and, and what's not. So I know you, you've talked a lot about that in your publications and in your work, Carrie, the importance of looking at that. So, you know, some things that I kind of like to look at are um, show me those products that have days on hand greater than 60 days, but um, you know, they're, they're not selling now. They haven't had movement in five days, whatever it may be that's going to allow me to put my finger on inventory challenges that are tying up capital and that are creating ultimately somewhere downstream um, what I refer to as rework. 
They turn into the fire drills of a sales force that has to go out and sell code distress product. They take away the productive time of your team to manage you know, a strategy because they're always fighting a problem. Um, so building the right inventory dashboard for your business based on your portfolio, some portfolios are immensely complex with craft and they, they require a different level of dashboard than others. But building that inventory scoreboard for yourself is really important. Um, and, and lastly, what I would tell you that as a, uh, you know, as a sales leader myself um, for a, a good portion of my life, um, for me, a KPI that's really important is the quality of activity. So we do a lot of things in this industry. We build a lot of displays. We get a lot of distribution points. Um, we do, well, we used to do a lot of, you know, promotions and samplings and different activities. For me, understanding where we're doing them and the value of those placements or displays or, or activities, meaning are we doing them in the bottom tier of our customers? If we got 100 new points of distribution on a new brand launch, but 75 of them are in accounts that do no business, is that success? So having a measure around total new points of distribution by customer value, and that can be as something as simple as for an AB distributor, did they come from BU or D customers? Or are they A, B, and C accounts where we drove the, the predominant amount of our activities? Having some easy scoreboard that lets you keep tabs on the quality of your execution, I think is critical. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more that quality of activity, um, that's kind of become sort of my new favorite metric. You know, my new favorite is uh, is this idea of calculating the net profit after the cost of service. Um, we kind of call it impacts for short, but um, it's it's like gross per drop. It's like gross per drop's big brother. <laughs> but what I love about it is that it will inform, you know, how well you're returning on the time that you spend per customer and that overall quality of activity that, that Grant mentioned. For example, you know, what, what you would do is uh, take the direct expenses off the P&L and divide them by the number of stops over some period. And now you have some cost of service. Now you can take the gross profit being generated, relieve it of that estimated um, cost because uh, you can take that estimated cost times the number of stops and, and arrive at like, you know, here's my gross profit. Here's my estimated cost for all the stops that I did. Now, where did I land? Did I land in a positive net profit or did I land in a negative net profit? You and, know, and this is at an account level, Carrie. Yeah, you know? yeah. This so, to, yeah. So once you have that, it starts to become really clear, you know, whether we're getting great distribution or less than great distribution. Um, if it's in accounts with low velocity, like Grant talked about, it's sort of, you know, is that where we really want all of this distribution focused? And some of the supplier mandates that may come down and say, we want you to go get 500 points of distribution. Maybe there's something to be able to come back and say, no, actually, you want me to go get these specific 312. That's what you want me to go get first. You know, so um, so I've really started uh, I've really started finding a lot of value in the net profit after the cost to serve. Mm, I like that one. You can almost create like a mini mini P and L for each of your customers for each. Exactly what it exactly is. Exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it'll tell you things like whether you're over servicing account. Like, is this customer's 
gross profit, you know, hopelessly unable to satisfy all the service you're cramming down their throat. Um, and it can also tell you the other thing. It, I mean, it can go the other way and say, wow, look at these specific customers here. Um, maybe that's where the fish are. Maybe that's where we should be spending more time. You know, maybe we're not putting enough focus in here. Um, so it, it gives you a really clear and defensible way to put all the right things on your radar so you can make deliberate decisions about service levels, but, but also about how you deploy that sales team. You know, we have an army, how should we direct them? You know, and, and I really love, uh, uh, impacts for that, for that kind of insight. Um, I mentioned it's like gross per drops, big brother, you know, that's my second favorite is probably gross per drop. I think it's easy, speaks to route efficiency, value of the account. It's easy to report on, um, you know, so, so I think gross per drop is a good one. Um, lastly, I'd say velocity per point of distribution. I really think velocity per pod can give you some insights into, um, whether you've got the right products in each customer. So this, this particular metric, I like to look at it by customer type and find out which customers are doing, you know, a lot better velocity per pod and whatever that subset of products is, that might be products that just connect to consumers in those types of customers or in that particular geography. You could, you can go really deep when you start doing things by customer, because there's a lot of, a lot of different, uh, uh, dimensions at, at the customer level, but those, sorts, but those sorts of things tell a story. Yeah. I, and I think the most powerful story that when we see it come to life is, Hey, these customers are having an immense amount of success with this product, um, in this customer type, right? You have 20 more gaps of customers that are just like this, that don't, don't carry this product. This is where you should go first, um, to get the greatest return on time, um, and greatest return on selling efforts. So it really starts to inform, action, not just, you know, insight, but something that you can actually go sell against. Oh, I love that. Just uh, to double back, Darren, on velocity per pod point of distribution, can you, how do you define that? So if somebody wants to do that calculation, like what's, what does the math look like if you have, if you could give a simple example? Yeah. A simple example would be to look backwards three months and look at what the volume is and then divide that by the point of distribution, by whether that exists in that customer, you know, or in that group of customers. Okay. And then as you guys are looking at KPIs, key metrics, you know, the other thing that comes up a lot is, you know, how do I compare it to an industry average? You know, um, how do you think about the use of those industry averages? And relatedly, do you have any good sources of information if, if uh, someone wanted to track that stuff down? Sure. Um, you know, industry averages can be, I think, a useful tool, and everybody's really interested in how they compare to other distributors. Um, you know, they they help you define what's what's possible or the potential um, that could be out there, and and that's that can be healthy. Um, but I think you can over rotate on comparison sometimes when you're not necessarily comparing you know, like geographies, um, like labor markets, um, like cost structures. So, you know, for me and how I would advise clients is probably the more powerful thing to be committed to is not comparing yourself to 
you know, some national number, but rather comparing yourself to your own performance month over month in a disciplined way. I think that's really, if you're trying to go through the hard work of transforming performance, um, looking at how you can move in increments you know, positively month over month, quarter over quarter against some strong KPIs in your business drives the most tangible result um, and is going to give you, you know, an absolute, you know, barometer of performance that you can you can really lean on. So, you know, I would say it's great to be able to look at that, but temper it by really measuring and, and managing against your own performance month over month, quarter over quarter to look for improvement. Yeah, I'd even go further to say that the 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 key thing there is trending. You know, uh, I I kind of look at numbers like this: a single number, like a KPI or something like that. A single number, isolated and by itself, will kind of whisper to you, but a number trended will sing. <laughs> you know, it it will tell you it will tell you things that are going on, and it will allow you to infer some stuff. So. Um, Regardless of what your metric is, if you can just trend that thing, I think it's going to be way more powerful for you than um, than just trying to see a single number on a single card in a single report. The whispering numbers. I like that. <laughs> do, do you guys have uh, – how would somebody go about – If and I agree with everything you said there relative to measuring against your own performance, but if they wanted to track down industry averages, where, where does one even find stuff like that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I would say that there's some some great resources that are provided by the MBWA, say. Um, they have their distributor productivity survey um, that can offer you, uh, you know, a report that shows some basic, you know, KPIs across many different size organizations so that you can use that as a reference point. So that can be sourced directly from the MBWA. Um one that I have found particularly powerful for both clients and for myself is, you know, get active in a keg group. Um, are you familiar with those, Carrie? A keg group? K-E-G? Keg. Yeah, it's an acronym that stands for Knowledge Exchange Group. And they were originally set up um, by Miller Coors, um, where they brought together 10 or 13 distributors um, and formed a, an actual organization that shares knowledge, um, knowledge exchange group, the keg. ABI has the same thing. I think they call them hopheads groups, where it's distributor owners or leaders come together in a space where they've agreed to confidentiality and they can share with each other and talk about how they achieve certain results. I think having that kind of connection to a group of your peers that's you know built on trust and confidentiality is probably the best way because you know a little bit about their businesses. Who's most like me? Who has similar challenges to me? I'm going to look at their performance as a great benchmark. So I would say find, you know, find your way into that if you can. Mm. Yeah, that's great, great advice. So let's, uh, let's pivot here. I want to talk about the diagnostic tool uh, that you guys have, you know, connecting the tool to data sets so you can, you can filter through the information and and really get uh, get some good information. Um, tell me about that. What is what is this diagnostic tool, and how does it work? Well, I, I'll I'll jump in, but I'll, Darren will certainly take over from uh, a lot of the technical side for me. But ProfitRx is a diagnostic tool. Uh, it's something that leverages the data that's already in uh, a client's systems and allows us to really build some 
powerful insights and importantly, some collaborative conversations around, you know, action uh, with a client. So this allows us to bolt on top of a RAS system or an ERP system and to extract um, some really valuable insights like what's your average cost per sales call? What's your average cost per merchandising stop and delivery? And then using that information, as Darren referenced earlier, we can calculate for every customer in the marketplace for any period of time what their net profitability is after the cost of service or impacts. So, you know, if customer A received 42 deliveries over the course of the year and had a gross profit of, you know, $7,000 it potentially cost you $1,700 more than you made to, to go there those 42 times and to merchandise it every single week. Um, we can help uncover that very quickly and in an automated fashion um, because we can really do that calculation with daily sales and we can continuously update it and then rank their customers into buckets of profitability so that we can use that to really inform decision-making. And I think powerfully, other than just providing insights, I think what it allows us to do is to have a sandbox to model changes. Once we start to see some of these things, wow, there's a lot of customers that aren't profitable after the cost of service. Well, what can we do about it? Well, in this tool that we've developed, we're able to now collaboratively with the client model the impact and value of routing changes or service policy changes before they ever do anything that's announced to retail. We can look at it 20 different ways and find the way that delivers the greatest result in financial benefit of reducing labor costs, say for driver overtime, or that delivers the most amount of time back to a selling organization that allows them to go compete somewhere else that's more profitable. And I think that's really the most important part because the, the ProfitRx journey with a client of looking at all of this data, um, it's not a cost savings you know, tool. This isn't about saving your way to success. This is really about ensuring that you're allocating intentionally your organization's time and the expense related to that time to those customers that are going to potentially return the greatest result on on the time you're investing. So it's really about what we in shorthand refer to as how can you win where it matters with the same number of employees? How do you not have to continue to add more headcount to manage more complexity in your business? How do you just realign it and reallocate it by modeling different scenarios until you find the right prescription for your business out of ProfitRx and, and then apply it and, and reap the rewards of competitive advantage in those big accounts that matter more. Mm. Let me, I know Darren's going to jump in, but let me just pause and give you an amen to that. <laughs> Go ahead. Jay. Well, I, you know, I just add, I suppose that, um, you know, this was something that we kind of built for ourselves because we were doing a lot of this analysis over and over and over again. And, um, you know the the technology exists today where you don't you don't have to build something forever you can like you know generally what we're pulling is not just information from an ERP or RAS but maybe three or four other spreadsheets you know and it's okay if data comes to us in spreadsheets or comes to us from a completely separate survey system or whatnot it all can just come together um, the the biggest I'd say you know what we're trying to accomplish with it though is to have a an easy way 
to shine a floodlight on where the time is spent, what the estimated ROI is on the time investments that we're making, and then use that to influence routing decisions or tune compensation plans or really look at our supplier planning um, through a new lens, you know, like, you know, if I'm looking at a supplier and I'm saying, okay, and in all my, in my entire portfolio, I'm used to my top 10% customers generating about 80, um, 80 cases per point of distribution and yours generates, you know, you're in 92% of my top 10% customers and you generate like 11, um, you know, maybe we need to talk about something different than just distribution, right? We, we need something else to go on here because you're in the, re- you're in the best accounts, you know, or, or maybe I have a product that should take its place in my way right. already <laughs> that will deliver more value for the retailer and, and for my business as well. That's great. So we've got the profit RX. Do you also refer to it yourselves as, as a profit doctors? Does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> that, that we don't know, but the tool is called profit RX. <laughs> I love it. So we hit on a few of these, but I did want to maybe wrap up with a, with a, a final question or maybe next to last, last question relative to these business rules. So you can kind of use the profit RX to mine the data, to, to model out different scenarios and changes. How do you guys think about creating and then applying business rules? Or do you have maybe a couple of examples of what those business rules might be and how they might be applied? Yeah. So business rules, as we talk about them with clients, is really you know within that sandbox of modeling potential changes to your strategy um, to see what benefit they bring, either in recouping time that you can redeploy um, for higher asset customers or how you can save on overtime because you're going to low value customers with a truck you know, every single week that, that quite honestly, may not deserve that level of service and it's costing you a lot of money. So I'll give you an example of how we use business rules in in this sandbox. Um, Let's say that we're talking to a client and um, they've got a really gold-plated level of service for everybody in the marketplace. Every on-premise customer gets a salesman in there every week. The next day, a truck shows up, whether it's three cases or 50 cases, Everybody gets served every week. When we look at NPACs, we can identify with the client that, you know what, 35 or 40 percent of your on-premise universe is not profitable. They're underwater. You've spent more as an estimate to do business in that account than you've earned. Um, What if we took the bottom 20 percent of those customers and changed their frequency to every other week? That's 200 stops a week that now get returned either in labor hours or in selling time, what if we moved those hours to the top 10% of your most profitable accounts? And now instead of having to rush through that call in 20 minutes, your salesman can now spend 45 minutes to properly service the shelf and to make sure they're making a compelling sales call. We can build those models, shifting time, resources, and service hours between customers and allowing us to look at the net benefit so that together with the client, we can make a judgment around what's going to deliver the most value. you know, one of the big things that we think is a, a lever, as do many distributors in the industry right now, is how can you deploy online ordering? 
And, and if you're currently, you know, managing the replenishment model for, you know, 1200 on-premise accounts, what if you turned over replenishment to the customer and you didn't have to go there every week and spend 25 minutes counting, you know, beer in their basement, but you said, Hey, you place the order, but now once a month, we're going to come in and it's not about the order. Now it's about selling. It's about educating you on the new products, telling you what programs we have going on and how we can help put butts in your seat with great, you know, great menu items, great ideas um, and, and great promotions. That's the kind of interaction that creates value long term in a relationship. So, you know, we can use ProfitRx to model out building the time that can be, you know, really delivered to a selling organization to do that um, with tools like online ordering or changing service frequencies or service policies. And it allows you to just model it before you jump in um, and look for the look for the challenges. And I, I do think it's important to say um, we're, we're really big believers that, you know, data is very powerful and it informs a lot. But once we built the business rules, so to speak, um, we think it's important that we engage with local sales leadership, that front line, whether it be supervisors or a channel sales manager in any organization, because there's one thing that a computer or data will never know. And that's, you know, what bar is owned by the state senator um, and what giant liquor store owns that tiny bar down the street and will put you in the penalty box if you don't go there every single week. There's no way data knows that without local insights. So everything that we do has to be colored by the knowledge of the people that do the work. Um, so we think that, you know, this sandbox gives us the ability to say, what do you think about this? Let's shoot holes in it and tell us which accounts work and which ones don't. And then let's, you know, let's refine it and refine it and refine it um, with your feedback, because human input is critical to what we do with the data every day. It makes a lot of sense. Just want to underscore a couple of things you had said is, and I experienced this in my time at a wholesaler as well, where you would do the analysis and you'd say, you know, if, if we shift these X number of accounts to every other week, we're going to save Y amount of time. And the, and the argument was very often, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to be incurring the time anyway, but your point is a good one, which is you're not looking to cut costs or reduce anybody, you're going to reallocate those resources where you'll get a better return on the investment, so to speak. You'll, re, re, you'll shift them to those top accounts that maybe, quote unquote, deserve more or can get a better return. So I think that's a, a great point. Yeah. Carrie, do you mind if I just give you yeah. 30 seconds on on kind of what I also feel about that? I think when you look at the routing that many businesses set up for, let's say, the average salesperson, um, you know, they'll say they have 14 stops today. And that sounds great. But if the 14 stops are in off-premise accounts or a portion of them are off-premise premise accounts that take 40 minutes to really make a quality call where they can take inventory and merchandise and do those things, but also get some time to talk to the buyer, um, the reality is when you do a time study on that 14 account stop that the rep may have been running for two years like that, it should technically on paper take that rep 11 and a half hours to do. And we know that that's not happening. So something is being skipped. Something is not being done correctly. So 
although the routing works today in, in the existing state, the reality is, is that it's creating survival behaviors with our people. They're skipping the selling step and they're just focused on getting the order and getting the basics done, but they're not creating value in your relationships. They're not asking questions. They're not looking for you know, that next level opportunity. They're focused on MBOs and getting the order and getting out because they've got to get to the next stop quick. That's what truly differentiates performance long-term, and that's what we're trying to uncover is if I can build the right route with the existing people by changing frequency of the lowest profit accounts, I can make sure that your people have enough time to do a compelling and fantastic job in their accounts in the routes that we redesign with the client. Not rushing through them, not skipping steps, but actually taking those 40 minutes so that they can actually beat the competition and be better than them consistently. That's really the secret sauce of, you know, yeah, well, we're still incurring the time anyway. Well, we are, but is it being used effectively? Absolutely. Great. Yeah, really. Honestly, what we found as we started doing this with more and more folks was, um, you know, routing is kind of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit. When you start to prioritize your accounts and provide salespeople more time to sell, and you start to direct efforts against points of distribution that return the highest velocity, um, and you start thinking about where to invest additional dollars to get the best ROI, like taking those supplier-funded um, initiatives and, and really fishing where the fish are, um, all of that leads to some some pretty unique results. I mean, I think they're very unique. We've seen things. Uh, we've seen things like um, things where we're spending like a third of our time, thirty three percent of our time, going after uh, three to five percent of the gross profit. You know, and on the face of it, that number seems very lopsided. You know, but what if we got a little bit of that back and we were able to? go out and do the things I just talked about, it, it becomes a powerful way to provide resources to the sales team that um, most sales folks tell me they desperately need. Most Salesforce people tell me, you know, I just need more time. I just don't have time, you know? And so this is a play on time. Absolutely. Well, guys, this is great stuff. A lot for folks to chew on here. Really appreciate Maybe it too time. much. As I look at the timer at fifty six minutes, <laughs> Maybe we nerded out a little too much. You can never nerd out Sorry. too much. No, I, I think All I think right. there's two rules that I live by. You can never not. You can never nerd out too much, and you can never eat too much bacon. So you can <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. So if, if folks want to learn more about the services that you provide or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Carrie, the easiest way to to reach out to us is just on our website, which is uh, intrench.com. And it's I-N hyphen trench, T-R-E-N-C-H.com. Excellent. These guys have been in the trenches, so they know what it is. So Darren and Grant, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Carrie. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.